is a title for you this morning, The Offense and the Comfort of Emmanuel. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. The Offense and the Comfort of Emmanuel. Well, it is the 1st of January, 2023. And as someone rightly said earlier, I think it was Jurian, no one day is different from another according to the Bible, but it, it does feel a little bit different to preach on the first day of the year. And it really did, does give us an opportunity to focus on the 365 days that lie ahead. So I want to ask you at the start here, what, what should you be focused on? What should your heart be focused on as we start this new year, not just this new year, but in fact every year. And the Apostle Paul puts it rather succinctly in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, when he says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That's your focus. You, you are to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But what that means for us as Christians, it means that we are to live and proclaim the gospel in a culture which is highly hostile and very confused. Can I say that again? We are to live and proclaim the gospel in a culture that is increasingly hostile and increasingly confused. Have you noticed that our culture is like that? Let me give you a couple of examples. Firstly, Christianity in Australia is often nearly always coupled with Catholicism. They are not the same thing. Highly confused. Secondly, Christianity is, is often seen as one version of spirituality. So Christianity is just one brand of the religions on the shelf that you can choose depending on your preference. I mean, how highly confused can you get? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But there are some people that see Christianity in a very exclusive way, but then they reason it's way too narrow. It's far too narrow, so we need to sort of blend other things into it. And then fourthly, Christianity is seen as anti-everything. We're seen as anti-homosexual, anti-abortion, anti-same-sex, and so the antis go. And because of this, Christianity is actually viewed as we hate people. When the very opposite is true, we love people. Steve McAlpine, in his book called Being the Bad Guys, says that Christians, and this is my paraphrase, he says Christians are now seen as the enemy of the state and the enemies of cultural freedom. And just by the way, Steve McAlpine will be our speaker at our camp coming up in March, not to be missed. Now sadly, yes, it's true as Christians, we are, we are sometimes... Uh, we're responsible for the way that people are viewing us as the enemy. And, 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 and sometimes we've, we've done that to ourselves because of the way we handle the gospel. But, but if you stand for the exclusive claims of the gospel, 
If you stand for who Christ truly is, if you stand for the fact that Jesus Christ is the only, the one and only way to salvation, and if you stand for the godliness and the morality of God in His Word, then you are going to be viewed as enemy number one by the secular, confused, hostile culture. There is no way to avoid that. None. And you have noticed, haven't you, how the heat is getting turned up? Do you remember last year that, that saga with the Christian Andrew Thorburn? He, uh, he was appointed as CEO of the Essendon Bombers Football Club. He belonged to a church called City on a Hill in Melbourne. The day that he got appointed, they suddenly realized his connection and his views and his connection to the church. And this is what they said to him. They said, you either resign from the church or you resign as CEO of the Bombers. The very day after his appointment, he resigned courageously from being CEO of the Essendon Bombers. His church and his views was not tolerated by the culture. So as we come into the 1st of January 2023, we're, we're coming into a culture that is increasingly hostile, increasingly confused. We are urged to live lives worthy of our calling. And the question is this, how do we do that? How do we do that? And I want to give it to you in one, three words. Does that make sense? I want to give it to you in one, three words. It'll make sense, Sonia. One word is Emmanuel. Three words, God with us. I want to unpack the one, three words. Emmanuel, God with us. Because if we can get this, grip this, understand this, go deep with this, we're going to go some way to preparing ourselves to live a life worthy of our calling in this age we live in. So let me put it like this. In the one three word, Emmanuel, God with us, there is both an offense and there is a comfort. There is an incredible offense in God with us. But there's an even greater comfort in God with us as well. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5, he said, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So I could put it like this. To be associated with Emmanuel, God with us, there is suffering. But notice, to be associated with God with us, there is an abounding comfort that comes to us in Christ. And that's what I want to do with you in the time that's remaining. I essentially want to do three things. I want to help you understand the offense of Emmanuel. I then want to help you understand the comfort of Emmanuel. And then I want to take those two things, the offense and the comfort, and I want to apply them to you very practically as we head into 2023. So here comes my first The offense of Emmanuel. And when you think of the word Emmanuel, God with us, at first it doesn't seem very offensive, does it? God with us. So it sounds a bit innocuous. 
I mean, even non-Christians get all sentimental and nostalgic every single year singing Emmanuel, God with us at carols, don't they? Many non-Christians think that God with us is just a harmless mythological nonsense because many religions have got gods that take on human form. And it's true. In, uh, in mythology and Eastern religions like Hinduism, there are many gods that take on human forms and they do things that we could actually not speak about even from the pulpit. But Emmanuel, God with us, was deeply offensive in the Greek, Roman, and Jewish culture of the day. And it is deeply offensive in our culture as well. And I'll show you why. I want you to ask yourself this question. God with us. God with us. Which God? Which God is with us? When Matthew says that Jesus is God with us, Matthew is saying that God, the God, has made himself known to us, revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Not any old God, not a mythical God, not a made-up God, but God. Which God? In the context of Matthew, it is the God of the Old Testament that has come to us. The God who has come to us in Jesus is none other than the one that was revealed to us in the Old Testament. Now to sharpen this for you, do you know what the Jewish Shema is? Or the Jewish prayer? You may have heard of it. It is actually said, quoted from the Bible in every single Jewish synagogue even today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The Old Testament says that God is one. A God who cannot be known by reason or philosophy. A God who cannot be worked out by science or astronomy. The God who made a special covenant with one nation in order to reveal Himself. The Creator of all things. The One who breathed life into everything. The God who gives life and breath to all people in every culture. That The God to whom every single culture is accountable. This God. This God has come to us in Jesus. I want you just to stop for a moment. I want you to think. I want you to, be, I want you to ponder. I want you to be still. God with us. There's only one God. All other gods are idols. They are the products of people's imaginations inspired by demonic activity. The history of religion is a history in idolatry. The human heart is an idol-making factory, as John Calvin once said. The Old Testament even mentions a number of deaf, dumb, stupid, lifeless, demonically ingrained gods like Baal, Modoc, Dagon, Baal, and Molech, to whom the Israelites outrageously sacrificed their children. But the one true, living, eternal, beyond imagination, beyond imagination, powerful Creator God took on flesh in Jesus Christ. And it was astoundingly offensive. Let me show you. 
John 5, for this reason they tried all the more to kill Jesus. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. See the offense? Have a look at it in John 10, 33. We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, Jesus, a mere man, you claim to be God. And here's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 1.23. He said, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Hear this. We preach God crucified. God crucified. No wonder it was a massive stumbling block to the Jews and utter foolishness to non-Jews. This is why every cult, from Mormons to Christadelphians and to Jews, this is why they deny Jesus as God, as God in human flesh. Because God on a cross is deeply offensive. But I want to pull this out a little bit more, and I want to go a little bit deeper, because I want you to understand this morning, I want you to understand a little deeper how Emmanuel, God with us, is so central to Christianity. It's, this, it's, it's, it's the very heartbeat. And, and why the devil works so hard to confuse and deceive human hearts about who Jesus is. Just consider the following for just a moment. If Jesus is not God, we don't know God. If Jesus is not God, we don't know God. If Jesus is not God, then we don't even know where to begin looking for God because God is invisible. So where would we begin to look for Him? And that's why in coming to Jesus, we're coming to God. If we're dishonoring Jesus, we're dishonoring God. If we're obeying Jesus, we're obeying God. If we're loving Jesus, we're loving God. But I want to go a little deeper with you. And I want you to have a look at this statement by a guy called Colin Smith. Here's what he said. He said, if Jesus is not God, the cross is not an act of love, but an act of utterly despicable cruelty. Just read that again. If Jesus is not God, the cross is not an act of love, but an act of utter, utterly despicable cruelty. What does Colin mean? Let me quote him. He says this, If Jesus is not God, the cross is an act of cruelty, injustice, and abuse. Why? Because if the Father just chose some person from human history called Jesus to be born into this world and laid our sin on him, this would amount to God victimizing Jesus and God would be guilty of the most fundamental miscarriage of justice and we would be right to spend the rest of our lives in anger towards God. And then he says this, but if God is with us in Jesus and Jesus chose to lay down his life for us at the cross, then what we have is God giving himself for you. God giving himself for us. 
God with us means God giving himself away. Not another person. Not another created being or whatever. God with us means God coming to us. God standing in our place. God intervening for us. God reconciling us. God giving himself for you and me. God dying for you. God dying for you. And just one more little aspect on this. If Jesus is not God, we cannot be sure of our final salvation. Do you realize that? Our final hope of salvation rests on the fact that Jesus Christ has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, the incarnated, glorious Son of God. So if Jesus is not God on the throne, we cannot be sure that we're all going to make it. That He might lose some of us along the way. This is what Jesus said in John 6.39. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those He has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. If Jesus is not God, we cannot be sure we're all going to make it. There might be a few drop-offs as we go. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is not God with us, we have nothing. This Christian thing, it is a useless waste of time. The cross is cruelty and we have no certainty. So I want to ask you this morning, are you, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you ready to be associated with this offense today? Are you willing? Are you ready to be called arrogant, intolerant, narrow-minded, and bigoted? I have someone in my life who regularly calls me an uneducated idiot because I believe that Jesus is God taking on flesh and bones. The world has no room for God with us. That's why the world has got no room for Jesus with us. Because Jesus is who? Emmanuel, God with us. And if you are going to not just live, but if you're going to proclaim the gospel in a culture that is confused and a culture that is hostile, to proclaim the gospel, you have to look in the eyes of people very humbly, but very boldly, and this is what we say to them. When we preach the gospel, we say to people, you are not an accidental product of evolutionary theory. You have been created by a creator God who loves you. That has revealed himself in Jesus going to the cross for them. And he has been exalted to the highest place on the throne next to the Father. And he offers eternal life and glory to all who believe in him. Are you ready to proclaim that gospel? Are you ready to proclaim the offense of Emmanuel? Are you? So from the offense, we go to the comfort of Emmanuel. Now I want you to stay with me, because I want you to feel, and I want you to see the nuance of change. God with us. God with us. 
See the change? In other words, we've, we've looked at the God who is with us, but who is the us that God is with? Is that bad English? Maybe, sort of. We've seen who the God is, but who, who is the us that God is with? Okay, take it that way and give me some lessons afterwards. Who's the us? God with us. Us. Who, who's that? Well, let me give you some options. Is the us the Jews? Is it God with the Jews? Is it religious people? Is it Emmanuel with religious people? Is it God with sincere people? Is it God with good people? When two nations go to war, which side is God on? Who is God with in a war? When we had the election, was it last year? When we had the election, who was God with? Which side was he on? You might remember back in the US presidential election, many Christians were utterly convinced that God was with Donald Trump. Many Christians' leaders even prophesied that Trump would win because God was with Trump. Maybe it's better to say that God withheld his Trump card. Moving on. What are we saying? What are we saying when we say that God is with someone? We're saying that God is committed to them. We're saying that, 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 that God has bound Himself to them. If God is for us, who can be against us? So who's the us? Who's the us? Now the only way you can answer the question is that we've got to ask who was Matthew writing to in the Gospel of Matthew? The Gospel of Matthew was written somewhere around about 8060s, and it was written to Christians who were being savagely persecuted for their association with God with us. If there's ever a book that you want to read this year, it would be John Fox's The Book of Martyrs, which outlines in fairly lucid detail what happened to the Christians when they associated with God with us. The first century was dominated by the Roman beasts under various Caesars and emperors who thought themselves to be gods. They thought themselves to be incarnated gods. And people even spoke to them like that. I'll give you one example in Acts chapter 12. Look at this. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and he delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. We'll have a look at Acts chapter 12 in a couple of weeks' time. So, Why? Why were the Roman beasts so savage on the Christians? Why did the Roman beasts feed the Christians to earthly beasts? Why did they burn them? Why did they falsely accuse them? Because God with Christians... threatened their godness. God with Christians affected, threatened their godness. The us is God's people. The us is those who take the name of Jesus on their lips and in their hearts. The us is those 
who take on Jesus and confess that He is God in human flesh, exalted now to the right hand of the Father in glory after His resurrection from the dead. And He will come again to judge the living and the dead. What's the comfort? God with us. His people. He's committed to us. He's bound Himself to us. The comfort of Emmanuel is God with His people. Now, I want to show you how both the offense and the comfort applies to living a life worthy of the calling you've received. You ready? Let me give you six things. Here, go, here they go. Here's number one. As we apply the offense and the comfort to 2023, Number one, Emmanuel, God with us, is the fuel for godly living. It's the fuel for godly living. How? Have a look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Let me ask you, how are you going to live such good lives among pagans who hate you, against pagans who, who, who accuse you of doing wrong. How are you going to live such good lives? God with us. We live as God lived with us, right? So look at it in 1 John 2 verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Godliness is walking as Jesus did. Godliness is walking as God with us did. As God with us lived, so we live. You see it? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us, walking, living, is the fuel, number one, to godly living. Two. Emmanuel is the fuel for outreach. How on earth would you give up and go to places like Mozambique, Congo, Pakistan, or anywhere else if God were not with you? How could you do that? You'd be absolutely cuckoos. The Bible starts with God. Well, Matthew 1 starts with Emmanuel, God with us. How does the book end? Do you remember? Do you remember how Matthew 28 ends? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know it well. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here it comes. And surely I am I'm with you. As we start 2023, and we know that God is with us. What part of the Great Commission can we not fulfill? What is it that we cannot do? If God is with us, what can stop us from doing that which God has called us to do? To proclaim the name of Jesus Christ the Savior of the world who came and lived and died and rose that people can have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. 
What's going to stop us if God is with us? Yes, as God's people, we are frighteningly insignificant. Human-wise, the odds are increasingly against us. The hardness of hearts is becoming compacted. But if God is with us, though we face overwhelming odds, we can and we will prevail because as we were reminded earlier, the gates of hell will not prevail. God with us fuels your godliness. It fuels your outreach. Number three, it fuels our endurance. How do you face a beast that hates you? How do you face a beast that thinks you hate them? How do you face a culture? How do you endure a culture that thinks that you're the enemy and you're the bad guys? God with us. That's how you face it. God with us. Back in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were about to go into the promised land, uh, many of them might just have thought, well, we're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's all going to be rosy-posy, right? You know, when the Israelites went into the promised land, do you know what kind of culture they were going into? It was spiritually confused and it was hostile. Go read the Old Testament. And here is what God said to His people through Moses, Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, as the people were going into a spiritually confused, hostile culture. Listen to this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Can I say that to us, brothers and sisters? Can we be strong and courageous this year? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the beast. Don't be terrified. Our God is with us. Here's number four. God with us fuels our commitment to one another. It's so easy just to turn God with us into God with who? With me, right? God with you. God with me. But I hope you've already profoundly picked up that it's God with us. God with us. Plural. God with His people. Let me ask you this question. If God binds Himself, commits Himself to His people, can you do that? Can you do that? You will meet lots of people today that claim to be Christian and they will say to you things like, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, but they want nothing to do with His church. They want nothing to do with His people. They, 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 they hate His people or detach from His people or indifferent to His people or apathetic from His people. God so loved His people, His church, that He gave His life for them. God is with His people. And if, and if God is with us, it means that God is with his people with all their sins and all their inadequacies and all their, their, their weaknesses. So if God is with us, can we be with us? Can we be with each other in all our weaknesses, all our sins, all our inadequacies? Because God is with us, can we be with us? 
I want to say to some of you here this morning, I, you are deeply, deeply committed to the people of God here because God is with us, and I want to thank you for that. But there are some of you here this morning who are not. Yeah, maybe you attend here. Maybe you come every week. Maybe you even go to a connect group. Some of you are visiting from other churches. doesn't mean you're committed. You might even be a member of this church and you're not committed to God's people. You're not with us. Have you ever seen a body without a head? Hopefully not. Except for maybe a chicken. Jesus is the head and he's connected to his body, right? God, God with his body can't be separated. Can that be you? Committed to us because God is with us. So can I just encourage you this morning? Don't be a dislocated arm. Don't be a dislocated shoulder. Sorry, uh, Claire. Don't be a disconnected foot or toe. Would you learn to love us? Would you learn and use your gifts for us? Because God is with us. Here's number five. God fuels our patient suffering. You do know what lies ahead this year, don't you? Suffering of some kind. I don't know what the suffering is, but it's coming. For some of you here, it will be new suffering. For some of you here, 2023 will be a continuation of the suffering in 2022 that even goes back further. And Jaron has shared some of his heart with us on that. How do you endure suffering? How do you endure it patiently when it's not getting fixed? When you have to wait? When God is saying no, not now, or wait, how? God with us. God with you. That's how you endure patiently in your suffering. Well, have a look at it. Psalm 23, though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is with me, and your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 73, 23, David says, Yet I am always with you, and you hold my right hand. You always hold my right hand. And then, Hebrews 13, verse 5, Keep your lives free from a love of money, and be content with what you have, because God, it says, Never will I leave you. And never will I forsake you. Never. One more before I close. Emmanuel feels our godly living, our outreach, our endurance, our commitment to one another, our patient suffering, and then finally it fuels our glory. Or maybe I could say it fuels our hope. Of glory. Have a look at this. 
Brothers and sisters, the, this is the prayer of Jesus. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You realize that Emmanuel, God with us, he came so that we might know, see, and experience the glory of God forever. Now, by faith, then, by sight. Here's how John put it. He said, dear friends, now we are children of God. But that hasn't yet been made known. So it's the now, but the not yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. God with us fuels the hope of our glory. If He didn't come for us, we wouldn't go to be with Him. Does that make sense? If he didn't come for us, we won't go to be with him. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. God with we close our service I want to give you just a few more minutes to think to ponder to pray to sing and even to worship I'll play you a song by a group called Mercy Me it's called God With Us just remain seated Think, ponder, pray, sing, and worship. And at the end of the song, I'll close and we'll go and enjoy some fellowship around tea and coffee together. Thanks, team. That you would be mindful of us. What do you see? It's worth looking our way We are free In ways that we never should be Sweet relief From the grip of these chains
be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you.